It's no secret that the food system in America has changed a lot over the past 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s and definitely grew up eating Dunkaroos and Chef Boyardee and Kid Cuisine and High C and Yoohoo. I mean, I didn't know what the word organic or non-GMO meant until like the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, we're learning more and more about the importance of clean ingredients and real whole foods. But let's be honest, the convenience factor is so important to a lot of families today because life is crazy. My guest today has infused his passion for entrepreneurship, organic and clean ingredients and foods and convenience and has created this revolutionary company that is growing in grocery stores across the country. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an awesome person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Adnan Durrani. He is the founder and CEO of American Halal Co., which wholly owns its flagship brand, Saffron Road. As a longtime social entrepreneur, Adnan was searching for a social enterprise that could bring people together. If you shop at Kroger, Whole Foods, Sprouts, pretty much almost any grocery store today, you can find Saffron Road products in those aisles. They are delicious and amazing. And honestly, I was so honored to have Adnan on the show today. I mean, his lifetime of experience in the food and beverage industry and his pioneering in so many areas when it comes to being innovative was fascinating. And this is one of my favorite conversations to date. So without further ado, on to my chat with Adnan. Adnan, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am honored, honored, honored to have you as a guest on the Business with Purpose podcast. Um, I have to have a confession. Um, so we recently got a Sprouts grocery store in our area, and I counted down the days until Sprouts was opening. Well, I guess, actually, at this point, it's been open over a year, which is kind of crazy to me. But I love, love, love Sprouts. And so I, one of the things I love about Sprouts is they always have brands of foods that maybe I haven't tried or, you know, just healthier options. And so I am a mom and a wife and I have two young kids. And so every now and then I love to just have some kind of just freezer meals in the freezer so that if I need a quick lunch or whatever. Um, so about, uh, I guess it was in the spring, I had seen some Saffron Saffron Road foods um, there in Sprouts. And so I picked it up. I hadn't tried it before. And it is the most delicious thing in the entire world. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. And, you know, our culinary team really prides themselves on the passion around our, our motto is culinary excellent, that really the wow factor has to be the taste. And Sprouts has been a wonderful partner for us. We're pretty excited about their expansion as well. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was my first time trying it. And I would never have known that it was like a frozen microwave meal, but it because it just tasted so fresh and delicious. So I just have to say that right off the bat that I am a big, big fan. And the more that I kind of dove into who you are as a person and, and your entrepreneurial background, I'm just I'm so excited to have you on the show. So welcome. And thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Well, I want to just kick it off by having you give us the 
Adnan 101. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you got started and where, you know, where you, how you got to where you are today. You have six hours? Do I have six hours? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, you well, know, I can get comfortable. I'm elevator pitch. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually did, I started my career on the dark side. Uh, I, I was on Wall Street for many years during, and now I'm dating myself, during the go-go 80s. <laughs> uh, and when the original crash, the 87 crash happened, uh, you know, I was doing extremely well. Uh, and then I had my head handed to me. And at that time, I, you know, saw enormous amount of malfeasance on Wall Street, which is much worse today than it was then, uh, and had an epiphany of sorts, both spiritually, mentally, and financially. And I decided, hey, this really isn't for me. Um, I kind of wanted to leave what I call the immediate gratification business and go into the delayed gratification business, which was being a venture capitalist or an entrepreneur, which I didn't know a lot about. Um, and so I uh, started a company called Vermont Pure Springwater. Um, and I should have known better. I mean, there's an old saying, how do you make a million dollars in the wine business? You know the answer, right? I don't. You start with 10 million. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, I didn't know that. And I thought it was such a utopian thing, like uh, to move up to Vermont, the beautiful Green Mountains. Uh, me and my wife started that company. And I thought, wow, it's going to be so easy to put water in a bottle and sell it and build it. Um, and, of course, we I cut our teeth doing that. Uh, it was a lot harder to be an entrepreneur and make the trains run on time versus, you know, being an investor or venture capitalist, judging other entrepreneurs as to why they're not performing on their budgets. So we really cut our teeth on that one. It was a, a, an amazing experience. We were the first, you know, bottled water that had very strong environmental uh, values around it, uh, as well as the way we took care of the springs and the way we gave back to the, uh, the state of Vermont in terms of the bridge. We had a nonprofit that supported a lot of the covered bridges and the and the streams that I'm passionate about uh, up there. So it was that was our socially responsible model, and it took us quite a while, but we built it up to the second largest bottled water company in the Northeast. Um, and and then after that, uh, you know, my company Condor Ventures, my venture capital company, uh, I partnered with or got introduced to a gentleman named Gary Hirschberg at Sony Field Farms. And just to let you know a little bit of the history of the way I look at consumer ventures, you know, in food and beverage. Because even when I was on Wall Street, we were funding mainly beverage companies in the natural organic area. So I've been in the natural organic sector for literally 30 years. Um, and, you know, this is why the food business is in my blood. I, this is my fourth food company. Uh, and, you know, when I got into bottled water back in the early 90s, I was told by all the experts that that's the worst category to go into. As a matter of fact, the chairman of Coca-Cola told me point blank, son, that, uh, and he was a friend of mine. He said, uh, you know, you, this is not a good area to go into wake up, Americans drink soda, not bottled water, uh, and the per capita of soda is going to go up tenfold the next 10 years. You really should be focusing on soda. And uh, I just saw trends in Europe that were seminal. You know, I saw uh, a shift into bottled water. I saw radon and lead issues in the U.S. back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I just felt that that was going to catch on. And we got very lucky. It did. Uh, today, the per capita consumption of bottled water in the U.S. is above Europe, believe it or not. Um, and then when I started doing yogurt, looking at the yogurt industry, a lot of Americans, especially a lot of the experts in the food business said to me, you know, Americans don't really eat yogurt. That's for something like people you, from you, from India or Pakistan or Eastern Europe and um, children, yuck, they'll never touch it. You know, and I said, no, not if you look at the trends in Belgium and France and what's going on with real bacteria and syphilis versus the gelatin yogurts we have here, I think there's a really good market for this. And so I, I 
ended up working with Gary at Sony Fuel Farms, and we were the first principal investor there outside of the founders. Um, and Gary introduced me to a group called Social Venture Network, uh, and I that was over 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago now, actually. Um, and it was an amazing group of entrepreneurs. I mean, I met uh, Ben Cohen through that from Ben & Jerry's, Eileen Fisher. Uh, a lot of us were on this journey uh, to better, I call it, you know, really a journey for the betterment of humanity by creating businesses that were triple bottom line. And when we used to talk about that back then, you know, 30 years ago, uh, a lot of my investors or partners would look at me and say, what's social responsibility? What do you mean you're going to take a percentage of the profits like we did at Stonyfield? 10% of the profits went to a, a, a program called Profits for the Planet, which then gave back to community, gave back to preserving the environment. Uh, they said, why would you do that? They looked at us like we had nine heads, you know. And I said, no, this is actually a for-profit motive, mm. being socially responsible, because yeah. it's something that I was taught by the Social Venture Network uh, group of CEOs, which were two or 300 at the time. I and mean, we were like 30 or 40 entrepreneurs, and it grew to over 1,000 now uh, with some very prominent names as a member of our group. But in the early days, we were really being pioneers, trying to set a new trail for how businesses can operate and at the same time be compassionate give back to all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Uh, so that was a whole new dynamic, and I learned a lot from Gary. I owe a lot to him. He really taught me about how you can connect social responsibility with a profit motive for business and have a very sustainable enterprise as well as enhanced brand value. Uh, and you know that was kind of my, my start in that whole path of re redefining my life and redefining what I wanted to do. And for the past 30 years, I've devoted myself uh, just to socially responsible enterprises. That's absolutely incredible because you're just, like you said, you really are a pioneer in that area. And it's something that, you know, 30 years ago, the, the average consumer didn't even know what that was. And, um, you exactly. know, I have to, you know, you mentioned something that I think is also really interesting. And you said how you've been in kind of, especially in the natural and organic food space for 30 years. And this is a conversation I have had a lot here on the show about how, um, you know, just we've seen this shift in consumer habits over the past you know, 10 to 15 years. And in a lot of ways, it really started with food and how we we see so much more the farm to table and we see, you know, this this uptick in in consumers demanding non-GMO products and organic and natural and brands are responding. And you're seeing it in, in every you know, different food category, <laughs> beverage yeah, category. Absolutely. I mean, I, I actually had to laugh. I was at the gas station yesterday and it, you know how all these, um, a lot of the alcohol companies are coming out with the spiked sparkling water. Um, right. Even natural light, natty light, like the cheapest beer I remember from college. <laughs> let's just be honest. Natty light has a sparkling spiked beverage now and i was like really are you like who <laughs> even it's like, organic, uh, it's yeah. like organic doritos yeah yeah exactly i'm like <laughs> the irony right. here um but all that to say that you know 30 years ago i i'll be honest there's no way i knew what organic and and natural and non-gmo and all of that was so what was it 30 years ago that you saw in the food space that you know, everybody else didn't catch on for with, you know, for another, you know, 20, 25 years. 
Well, I certainly think it helps to be lucky better than smart. And I got very lucky. <laughs> uh, the, the tsunami that came in the natural organic business, it was only a two or $300 million industry when we entered it. And today it's a $50 billion industry in the U.S. alone. So we got very fortunate. I did do a lot of research. So one of my things that I try to mentor entrepreneurs is make sure you, you know, if somebody tells you it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. But if somebody tells you it's impossible and you've done your research and you really, you know, investigated it, um, it, 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 could, it could possibly happen. So, you know, we, I'm always kind of a rebel in that, but with a cause, you know, trying to really <laughs> uh, fight conventional wisdom, yeah. but at the same time looking deeply at research. So what, what I was seeing, and it wasn't just me, a number of colleagues, is we were seeing shifts in, uh, you know, not just fads or trends, but really shifts in lifestyles, both in Europe and here, and especially the, the wave was catching on here, where the obesity epidemic was taking off, you were seeing all sorts of problems with antibiotics in the food system. Uh, you were seeing you know, really uh, strong studies coming out about uh, how certain organic products or healthier clean label products mm -hmm. uh, had very good effects on health long term. So as we were looking at those, we saw those were really important. And then we also saw the consumer demand growing for organic. You know, organic was getting uh, more and more farm acreage. The farmers were able to, when we started out at Sony Field, there were a lot of farmers that would, did not want to switch to organic from ma mainstream dairy because they, they would lose a lot of money initially. It took five to seven years to clean those fields up. But once they saw the opportunity uh, and the whole industry as a whole collaborated, I mean, the national food industry to help create that ecosystem for organic farmers, all of a sudden consumers had that availability of organic products. And that's where the critical mass was started to develop in the natural organic industry. Um, so that's really what I saw. And I'll, and I'll tell you, um, you know, even with Saffron Road, what really excited me about it was uh, I, I, I saw in Europe, you know, a lot of halal foods moving extremely well. I saw the kosher industry here take off. Um, and I knew that there were some interesting statistics around the American halal consumer that nobody was paying attention to 10 years ago when mm -hmm. we started this company. And I, and I did a white paper on studying that demographic and found out that it was a complete opposite of Europe. So, for example, in U.S., you have anywhere from four to eight million American Muslims. They tend to be much more educated than the average American. I mean, according to Pew, one out of five American ha uh, Muslim households has a PhD or MD in it. Mm. I mean, you think about your doctors, your engineers, your professors, your intellectuals, that was uh, your Silicon Valley folks. Those are the folks that migrated here uh, from, from Asia and India and so on, as opposed to in England where there's 60% below the average education of an Englishman. Hmm. Um, and also their disposable income is 30 to 40% higher than the average American. And according to Gallup, the second most educated woman in America is an American Muslim woman after the American Jewish woman. So, you know, these were a marketer's dream. I mean, to have a demographic, four to six wow. million strong, you know, $30 billion in buying power and food, and so educated and so wealthy, and 75% of them under the age of 40, uh, you know, and I said, nobody's appealing to that market. So that was kind of, I, I felt that there was definitely the, the ecosystem for that to develop here for a halal brand. Um, and I saw how well the kosher industry did, and I said, you know, we, we have an opportunity here. So when we started, uh, a lot of colleagues and folks I know in the industry said to me, you know, why are you focusing on millennials? Remember, this is going back to 2010 and 2011. And they said, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that because uh, they're not, they have no money, uh, plus they're brand shifters, they're not brand loyal, and wake up. America is an aging population. Baby boomers are the growth industry here, and they're going to tend to be the biggest demographic for consumer brands to you know, focus on. 
And I said, yeah, that's true. And baby boomers will always be an aspirational part of Zafran Road. They'll always be a big segment of our consumer for sure. But aspirational baby boomers, those looking for natural organic products that are clean label. However, millennials spend even back then 40% of their income on natural organic products, much higher than baby boomers, even though they have less income. Yeah. Secondly, they'll be getting older. They'll be getting married in, in future. They'll be having children. They'll be wanting to do stock up trips at both Costco and, and, and Kroger and so on, not just at Whole Foods. And so it's that demographic that also is actually very brand loyal, but they're not getting their ads from Super Bowl commercials. They're getting them on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or in the tribes that they live in and social media. And that's where you need to approach them, because if you do, they're virally very brand loyal. You just have to know how to approach them. So that was kind of our thesis back then. And, you know, again, we got lucky. Yeah. The tsunami that came was the millennial demographic. So today, according to Goldman Sachs, millennials are the wealthiest and fastest growing demographic in America's history. I mean, they're, they're two trillion in buying power, they're young, and because of the internet, because of the information age that we live in today, uh, they're very dogged about discerning their values around food. Yeah. Uh, and we benefited from that. Yeah, yeah, and you're seeing it, you know, millennials shopping responsibly in just about every category and how social responsibility and transparency is really important to them. Sustainability is really important to them. And, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's just like, Old, older crotchety people like to to talk badly about millennials, and people like to say, "Oh, millennials, like oh, they're they're lazy and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not finding that to actually be true. And I'm finding a lot of millennials are really working hard, and they just they demand they demand more, which makes them Absolutely. to to some people think like, "Oh, well, they think they're entitled." And it's not that they think they're entitled; it's just that they they see a better future, and so they demand that in the companies that they buy from. And they're, um, you know, I think one of the things that the the you kind of touched on is just how millennials have a lot of buying power and they're going to get older <laughs> and they're going to, you know, and they're yeah. going to influence their kids. And so that's a, that's a huge demographic that some brands are, are kind of missing out on. Um, and there's actually, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but is how Whole Foods has an entire study now that indicates that kind of millennials are willing to pay a little bit more for better quality and and brands that are sustainable and transparent and socially responsible. So, you know, exactly. what have you guys done at Saffron Road? You know, and for anybody who's listening who maybe hasn't isn't familiar with Saffron Road, can you talk? I guess kind of give a little bit about about the brand and what makes sure. you guys so different. Absolutely, and, and and just in that context, by the way, I'm glad you brought up that Whole Foods study, which was leaked to the press a few weeks ago. So Whole Foods did do an extensive study on its shoppers, especially you know post the Amazon acquisition. They have a lot of resources to really d- data mine. Uh, you know what their consumers are buying, what they're what they're attracted to, and what they found out was that 80% of Whole Foods customers consider quality the top factor. 80%. This is the millennial consumers, uh, millennial customers of Whole Foods. 65% say transparency is a top factor, and 70% will pay extra for high quality foods, especially healthy, ready to eat meals. And 42%, 45% have tried a special diet like gluten free, halal, kosher, keto, non GMO. So the, it's interesting because the study that came out from Whole Foods, and we were just up at their headquarters a couple of weeks ago reviewing some of this information with them, it fits perfectly 
into Zafran Road's consumer. Uh, and this was really exciting for us when the study came out because we didn't know anything about it till it was leaked in the press. So obviously now we can speak to it. And you know, at Zafron Road, we have we're a what we call a natural organic platform brand. So we have basically three components of our brand. The first one is uh, frozen, which is you know natural organic frozen entrees uh, as well as nuggets. And everything we do is antibiotic free with no antibiotics ever is our motto. And everything we do with beef and lamb is grass fed. We were the first non-GMO verified frozen entree in the world. We were the first certified humane entree in the world, which means that, you know, uh, we had to go through the project to get non-GMO verification, which was grueling. Uh, it's, yeah. it's even tougher than organic. And we got it. And we, we New York Times wrote about us doing that way back when. And certified humane means or and even humanely raised is all the farms that supply us have to go through a very grueling audit that they're treating the animals with proper animal welfare. And we use very, very high standards for that. And everything that we do is third party certified. Yeah. Um, so th that's kind of our frozen entree segment for Zafran Road. And then we have a shelf stable element, which is our simmer sauces and shelf stable meals, which we've recently launched in Costco, like a chickpea masala that's in a pouch, which environmentally is a very low carbon footprint. It's non-GMO verified. You, in 60 seconds, you have a complete meal in front of you. Not only does that play well in the plant-based protein environment, but also the fact that it's very clean label um, in, in that segment. And then the third segment, we have our snacks. So we, we're the leader. There's in chickpea snacks. There's about six other brands out there right now. We're by far the national leader in that category. And that is, again, play really fitting or in our brand funnel of organic chickpeas, non-GMO verified, very healthy, very clean label. Uh, chickpeas are one of the only snacks, I think only other than edamame, that has more protein than fat. So it's, again, a very nice uh, complement to our portfolio. But what I like to say is like when I started Zafron Road, we looked at a different bunch of brand names for it. And I actually originally was thinking of the Silk Road, but that was already taken uh, <laughs> because, you know, I'd, I'd like – I attended many years ago Yo-Yo Ma's uh, concert at the mall in Washington where he bought, literally the year after 9-11, uh, he brought over 150 artisans from 150 countries, artisans together to celebrate the commonality of cultures on the Silk Road. And I thought, I was blown away by that. And I thought, wow, that's really awesome. you know. And yeah. if I could create a brand that did that and brought together different cultures, different faiths, different, you know, ethnicities to celebrate the then champion each of those cultures and the wonderfulness of all of those different uh, tenets and values that those cultures brought, that would be something for me would be really a mission. And so that, that's how Zafron Road started. It was really about creating an, uh, a company or a responsible brand on a mission of collective progress, not only for the betterment of humanity, but to inspire, connect and respect, you know, different global citizens through a shared love of world cuisines. And I felt in that environment, especially more now today, there's so much dissension and polarization among different folks from different countries. We see what's going on. And, and so my, now I feel our mission is really coming to even stronger yeah. uh, because we have, we have so much more affinity among consumers, especially millennials who are very multicultural, who are very well-traveled, who even travel through the internet to different places, learn about different cultures, different languages, different faiths. And we thought, you know, if we could create a pluralistic model that did that, that would be for us really what we're all about. And I'm very happy to say that's what we've done with Safran Road. Yeah. And there's something to really be said about just 
you know, there's power in what happens around the dinner table or there's power in what happens when you get a group of friends or family together, all different people, and you sit around and you share a meal or you're even sitting in a living room and eating some snacks. Like, I mean, there's just food naturally brings people together. And so when you when you kind of fuse that beauty of delicious, multicultural, multi-ethnic food along with, uh, you know, fellowship among people, like there's just something really powerful about that. Absolutely. And what we often say, and, and I think Whole Foods, after us telling this for four years, finally caught on, which is that, uh, you know, a lot of folks say, well, what is your brand? Is it an organic brand? Is it an Indian brand? Is it a Thai or, you know, Mexican brand. I mean, what, what, what are, what are you really, what, what bucket do you fit into? And we always say to them, we're not that linear. Uh, we're the new dynamic. I mean, that's old school thinking the new school thinking. And that's really where we fit in is that we're part of a mindful food tribe and especially millennials and definitely aspirational baby boomers thrive on food tribes today because what they are, are they live in social identity with food tribes because Various food tribes thrive on adventure, specific dietary needs, local culturism. They're very value-centric in their food tribe. So that food tribe that we have at Zafron Road emotionally connects with consumers. It says it's a brand for me. It's deep emotional engagement. This is what we used to have at Stonyfield as well. There's viral advocacy that we have because we're very active. We're very digitally savvy in terms of the way we reach our consumers and extends beyond a specific product or even a specific cuisine. It really has to do with uh, the tribal affinity around distrusting large companies that aren't authentic. And since what we do, not only in terms of our recipes and the chefs that we celebrate and partner with, uh, is very authentic. I mean, our products, we, we import, you know, whether it's, if it's Thai products, we're importing Thai green curry from Thailand. If it's Indian products, we're getting the highest level of soca basmati rice from India. You know, when it's Mexican products, we're actually using nixtamal corn the way the Mayans used to do. Uh, you know, we're very authentic in, in that respect. And at the same time, we're very clean label. And that's something that young consumers that are very active on social media really love. And you have to be bulletproof because if you're not transparent about these values and about the sourcing standards and the claims that you make, uh, you'll be found out, you'll be busted, <laughs> you know? So yeah. the, the nice thing about us is when our consumers dig deeper below the veil and find out what Zafran Road's all about, they find out that we are the real deal. Yeah, I mean, what you just said kind of brings to mind, um, I don't know if you're, I'm, I'm sure you are because of the the field that you work in, but uh, recently we saw the big controversy with Fairlife Milk that is owned by, I think their parent company is Coca-Cola. And Fairlife has always kind of, you know, been said that they're you know that they're great and then basically a huge uh kind of animal abuse scandal came out and i mean it was just in all over my social media feeds and my son can't uh is lactose intolerant and Fairlife mm. was a you know for our family lactose i was like free. oh this is a great option for lactose free milk and oh look it's you know they're 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 transparent and all this kind of stuff but then that news came out and i i looked at my husband one day and i was like man now i got to find a new milk to buy like i was <laughs> right. like you know I and know. and so and i haven't bought it since then because i just now now that i i know better i'm going to do better and so i'm you know until they they show that they're going to be more transparent that they're going to clean up what they're doing 
shopping and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not going to support that company with my with my dollars. And so, you know, some people might think that that's really extreme, but you know, when you when you buy based on your values, I, I say go girl. That's the, yeah. that's what I would do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank thank you, Adnan. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I mean that's, you know, consumers when they find out like if something is 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 not right, if something smells fishy, if something is is just is not adding up like people money talks money talks yeah. and and this is something gary hirschberg taught me you know he yeah. used to call it wme weapons of mass enlightenment yeah. you know he used to say <laughs> that uh that businesses have uh you know their the, the capability and ability of businesses to be a change agent is much stronger than any church uh, because it's not bogged down by religion, it's much stronger than any government, which is not which is bogged down by bureaucracy. And the businesses can really influence politicians and others to act in their interests if they act for social good. And that it's a very powerful tool. You know that that I know, and I have enormous amount of respect in knowing the privilege that myself and my fellow CEO colleagues have when we're at this podium. You know, we I wouldn't be talking to you today if I wasn't a CEO, right? So. I've been given that as a blessing. And so we take this, our whole team takes this very seriously mm. in terms of what we communicate and, and how true we are to those values. And, you know, part of what we do in, in, in our social responsible, you know, uh, mission at, at Saffron Road is we do a lot of give back campaigns. You know, we do a lot, we connect with a lot of charitable organizations. So, for example, we, we are partners with Whole Planet Foundation, which is Whole Foods Foundation as well, um, where they've created over you know, for over 3 million women, microloans as women entrepreneurs throughout the globe. That's awesome. Uh, That's over awesome. 20 countries. We partner with Whole Kids, which is part of the Whole Planet Foundation, which we brought salad bars to schools, uh, especially disenfranchised schools in African-American communities where the nutrition, because of the communities and towns they lived in, there was like no nutrition at all. Uh, so we brought them organic salads. And during Ramadan, which is the holy month uh, of Muslims, we, we have a 30-day give back campaign where we give a dollar back for each product purchased um, into into a foundation with a Kickstarter campaign called Launch Good, and in that campaign we had two wonderful uh, campaigns that drew out of terrible tragedies, like where we had the the uh, the shooting of the Pittsburgh synagogue, the mm -hmm. massacre that occurred yeah. there. We ended up raising more money, five hundred thousand dollars, for victims than any other group uh, wow. for that synagogue, and it was a wonderful collaboration of folks of different faith in solidarity for compassion, for justice, you know, for yeah. the betterment of humanity. And similarly, where we, when the New Zealand crisis happened in, in the Christ Church, uh, we were part of Launch Goods' $2.7 million campaign that wow. they raised there. So wow. we found that this really strengthens the mission that we have, which is in this environment we're living in today, we like to think of really looking at a different kind of light, an enlightenment light that brings people together to support each other and have compassion and respect for each other and also to champion the commonality of various cultures. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Anand to thank our sponsor of the show, and that is No Issue. No Issue is the online platform for designing and ordering custom sustainable packaging for your business or brand. They have a low minimum order quantities, worldwide delivery in three weeks or less for free, and on staff, they have a team of designers ready to help you make your customized sustainable packaging look beautiful. Sustainability is everything to them because 
Everything is compostable, recyclable, and the paper products are FSC certified. But having that team of designers on staff means that your sustainable packaging doesn't have to be ugly. So if you have a business or brand that ships things at any time, visit noissue.co, that's noissue.co, and use the coupon code PURPOSE15 for 15% off your first order. Now back to my chat with Adnan. You're also leaving such a legacy, but you're setting an example for other companies. And, and, you know, this is something that I think is a point that can't be made enough. And it's that when when businesses change the, the, the landscape of how to do business, it forces other businesses to have to step up and do it. And so it really does create this ripple effect of change. And so 30 years ago, when when you shared that, you know, the natural and organic food industry was, you know, what, it was only like a $200 million industry, something like that. And right. then now today, it's a $50 billion industry. And that's because like, there are, you know, there are companies like a lot of the ones that you were a part of that really paved the way and and consumers began to go that way and absolutely you know actually that's really interesting you bring up that point molly because there's something that came out a couple years ago a statistic that blew me away um boston consulting group and ac nielsen did a study and what they found out was that 43 percent of the growth of the 800 billion dollar food and beverage industry is coming from small companies like saffron road let me repeat that 43 percent of the growth of the $800 billion food and beverage industry in the U.S. is coming from small companies. If you told me that five years ago, I would have said, no way. If you told me that 10 years ago, I'd say, you're crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because in the old days, it was Frito-Lay, Pepsi, you know, Campbell's, uh, General Mills. They control the shelf. There was, you know, you could have very little impact, you know? But today, because of the information technology age, because of the internet, because consumers are much more demanding about making sure they're not having the wool pull over their eyes and buying real products with real ingredients, you have this wonderful you know, enlightenment going on. It's like a renaissance in the yeah. food business. Uh, and I'll tell you out there for your audience, for, for young entrepreneurs, um, especially female entrepreneurs, there's so much more opportunity than there's ever been. There's so much more capital available now where venture firms are dying to get into this segment with startups and with companies that are appealing to values around the food system or even any consumer product that has a value-based center to it because they see for the first time a crack and an opening where you're seeing growth come from smaller startups really chipping away, not just biting at the heels, but chiseling away at major market share by big CPGs. So there is tremendous opportunity out there to have a values-based brand like Saffron Road. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That is an incredible statistic. <laughs> that and, yeah. and, and honestly, it it makes sense to me because when I am at, you know, when I'm at Sprouts and I'm doing my grocery shopping, you know, I read my labels and I, one of the things that my, my husband always, of course, like rolls his eyes at me because like I'll stand there in the aisle and I'll be like reading about the company and he's like, oh my goodness, will you just pick out the pasta like or something or whatever? <laughs> I, I drive my wife crazy with the store checks, believe me, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I, I because I care and I, you know, and I, for me, it really amped up when I started having children and yeah. because you know, when that's the game changer, yes. that's the game changer. That's why when once millennials, I mean, we thought this 10 years ago, once millennials started having families, we knew there was going to be a mega shift and it's already occurring. 
Yeah, because, I mean, when I got pregnant, I just suddenly was hyper aware of everything I was putting into my body. And so because I'm all of a sudden, it's not just me that I'm feeding, but I'm feeding right. this, this other child. And then when my daughter was born, I just became so aware of, okay, you know, what ingredients is there? Is there unwanted sugar in there? Is there chemicals in there that don't need to be? And, and I just became really, really aware of it. And so, I mean, I don't claim to be perfect and my kids still eat Chick-fil-A sometimes, guys. It's just right, you know, sometimes well, you just it's pretty good. It's pretty <laughs> delicious. It's pretty delicious. Let's be honest, guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, so I don't claim to be perfect, but I, you know, if I'm if I'm buying food that I'm bringing into my house, I'm going to make sure that it has good ingredients in it because I don't want to to just pump my kids full of unnecessary things that they don't need to have in their systems. And, and that's just that's just something that's important to me and my family. And I realize that that's not that's not something that's going to be a priority for everybody. But, you know, I think that the more and more that we we learn about food safety and we, we learn about the importance of, of clean, whole um, organic ingredients and things like that and, and the impact it has on our health and our mental health, our physical health, spiritual health, all those kinds of things. I mean, food is just interconnected into everything we do. It's just, I, I, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna continue to see that trend grow yeah. even more, and so and, that and actually. The other thing, sorry, go on. the other oh. thing I want to mention to you is that the beautiful thing about today versus ten or twenty years ago is, uh, as American consumers, we're very lucky. We have so many great choices now. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have yeah. these choices before, so you don't have to just go to Whole Foods or Sprout. Of right. course, we encourage you to go there because that's where Saffron Road has very strong distribution. But also, like Kroger is one of our probably our biggest partner now. Oh and, wow. You know, and we just launched in Walmart, and it's been an incredibly successful launch in 4,300 stores in all 50 states, and it's on fire, Zafron Road at, at Walmart, That's as awesome. well as at Costco. And so, you know, you're seeing Costco and Kroger's sales of natural organic products have surpassed Whole Foods. So it, it's interesting that consumers today in America have more availability of a lot of these smaller, newer brands in their mainstream outlets yeah. than they've ever had in history. So because you have those choices today, consumers can be discerning. You know, it, yeah. not just millennials. I mean, this aspirational baby boomers are making pretty tough choices, and brands need to be authentic and transparent. You know, that's why we say at Zafron Road that not only do we explore international cuisines that combine, you know, bold flavors from all around the world, but it's really about high quality, you know, wholesome ingredients, which are better for the environment. You know, we call it a journey to better, which is better for the environment, better for the farmers, better for the animals, better for your health, but most of all, better tasting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of leads my to sort of my next question, and that is, you know, you really have, uh, I, I, I th- thought it was really interesting that uh, not only did you notice the food trends in Europe that led you to kind of the natural and organic industry, and then you noticed the trends in Europe towards uh, bottled water away from soda, and then you noticed the trends in Belgium and France with yogurt, and then you got involved with Stonyfield. Like, Europe apparently is our is sort of like the uh, the the setting the example, and I think it's very it, bellwether. It's yeah. really interesting that you say that though too, because um, you know one of my big passions and one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast is the importance of buying ethical and fair trade uh, products in the fashion and jewelry industry, the home goods industry. I'm really passionate about you that. Yeah, 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 and. It started, a lot of it started in Europe and that, and you saw a lot of European brands um, and, and Europeans in general 
be really passionate about this. I mean, the the organization Fashion Revolution, which is started the movement, ask you know, getting consumers to ask who made my clothes. Uh, you know, to brands on social media. I mean, they started in in the UK, and so you know, I think you're. It's interesting because you're you're starting to see that here in the United States with yeah. with clothing and 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 home goods and jewelry and things like that. So yeah, much stronger consumer protection uh, yeah. regulations over there. Look at what's going on with Google and Facebook now yeah. in Europe, right? I wish they would do that here. Yeah, because they're much more concerned about consumer protection over there than we are over here. Yeah. Yeah, so my, you know, I'm curious, what are the trends you kind of are are predicting for next year and into the next five to 10 years? What do you think we're, we're going to see here in the United States? Well, I, I think this whole concept around, uh, you know, humane animal welfare for livestock is really an important one. And I think animal welfare will become a leading trend in the next two to five years. That's why everything we do with, with lamb and, and beef is grass fed. Uh, I also think that um, this whole, what I call, my opinion, irrational exuberance around plant-based protein meat alternatives is going to shoot its wad and kind of flatten out. I think there's been way too much attention to that category. Americans are by far still meat eaters. I mean, 75% of Whole Foods customers are meat eaters. They're not Birkenstock hippies. Uh, they're yuppies <laughs> looking for protein. Uh, and, you know, and that trend is going to get, it's going to stay. Now, the, the plant-based meat alternative movement, I think it's going to continue to grow dramatically. But even if it grows 500%, it's just a tiny slice of the overall industry. Yeah. And I think so there's a lot of retailers that are creating all this shelf space, both in frozen and dry for these plant-based protein meat alternatives. But at some point, it's going to catch up to them and it's going to hurt them if they don't, if they're not conscious about uh, how that could all fall apart. Because first of all, you know, and I'm not going to mention brand names, but all, a lot of those meat alternative companies are highly processed foods. They're using what I call protein isolates. Uh, and they're very unhealthy. They're not yeah. really, in my opinion, natural or organic. Yeah. Uh, this is what happened with the Atkins craze. This is ha- what happened with soy protein years ago when everyone thought it was so great and then it turned out it could cause cancer. Uh, I mean, essentially, Michael Pollan, who I respect a lot, uh, has called this whole movement in, in this plant-based protein process products. Um, he said that, he said, he calls it nutritionism. He says, fracturing perfectly excellent whole foods like peas and carrots and the components and reassembling them into something less nutritionally valuable. He goes, you're almost certainly better off eating carrots and adami, young soybeans that actually can be eaten by people than you are ingesting mashed up, isolated components of them. So all I'm saying is that caveat emptor, beware. Uh, you know, what you're eating, uh, just because it's, a, it's hot right now or on trend, doesn't mean it's healthy, especially yeah. if it's heavily processed. And if you're gonna eat plant-based protein, this is what our chefs especially John Umloff here, our head of culinary operations, who's a chef, um, always stresses, he says, look, if you want good plant-based protein, eat plant-based products that are clean labeled, that are, you're using real plant-based products, like whether it's, whether it's peas or whether it's carrots or, you know, whatever the driving plant is, make sure it's clean labeled, not that it's processed and you'll have a healthier meal. So I think there'll be at some point an epiphany in that segment the next couple of years and there'll be healthier products coming out that are plant-based protein that are truly plant protein, uh, as well as I think there'll be a focus on animal welfare. 
Mm, that is, I'm not going to lie, that is fascinating. And I could listen to you tell me food trends for the next hour and a half. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah, because I, you know, I've been a little wary. I mean, I make it, uh, you know, I always say, I'm like, you know, what, if you want to be vegan, if you want to be vegetarian, more power to you. That just means more meat for me. Um, <laughs> I, well, I do believe in the flexitarian diet, which is like yeah. <laughs> what some brands are all about. Like Beyond Meat is doing a wonderful job focusing not on vegetarians, but focusing on meat eaters yeah. like myself who might want to eat. We we have meatless Mondays and a couple of days a week we'll eat vegetarian. Yeah. So that's really their focus. And I think that's a really good trend and that's yeah. a very healthy thing to do for the environment and for human health. Yeah. I, I just want to just you know, be cautious about consumers (laughs) diving into these things without understanding what they're eating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I completely agree. I mean, there are definitely times that I love. Yeah, we do meatless Monday sometimes. And um, periodically, uh, a couple times, my husband and I have done the Daniel fast, which is yeah, so that means the Daniel fast is great. And so there's there's a lot of great ways to kind of balance out your, you know, eating meat and then also eating, you know, all whole plant-based products. So it's, it's, it's like everything in life. It's just, it's all about balance and just really finding what works for you, what works for your family and finding a a healthy rhythm. So you're not going to all these extremes. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, I, I think it's really interesting what you said about just that, that idea of just because something is sort of hot and on trend doesn't mean it's necessarily healthy. And so there's all these buzzwords that are not necessarily regulated. And you know, Like keto. Like keto, I think, is a great thing. Yeah. To me, it's a fad that two years from now, if you ask somebody what's keto, they probably even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so you – if you do it in a way that is that is clean and healthy and and you know what you're doing and really looking at the ingredients, I think that's fine. But it's when you're just buying into a trend or buying into a, a food movement because you think it's the the hip healthy thing to do, but you're not actually looking at what you're putting into your body, that that's when you need to be cautious. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask this question because I this is this is a question that I just am always really interested in to to know the answer to, especially when it comes to um, entrepreneurs like yourself who just you live, eat like literally, no pun intended, and breathe your your passion and 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 all of that. Is there something in your childhood, teenage years, early adulthood that you think kind of most led you to where you are today? Yeah, I I don't think I was ever thinking about being an entrepreneur as my career choice when I was in college or certainly when I was on Wall Street. But yeah, when I was a kid, you know, when I was young, like even in in high school, um, in my even the earlier days of high school, I had several businesses. I had a landscaping business, a lawn mowing business. I had a delivery company. I had a little candy uh, business as well. Uh, I, I had two uh, newspaper routes in the mornings. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, when I look back, it's funny you asked that question because I was thinking about this a couple of years ago and, and uh, talking to some other you know, colleague CEOs, and a lot of us had those newspaper routes. And we're like, yeah. oh, wow, maybe that's what started you know, our entrepreneurs and was these <laughs> activities we did when we were kids that we never realized manifested themselves later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where do you think the social good component came in? Like, was it just you were tired of the Wall Street rat race and you wanted to do something, uh, you know, with a kind of really having a business with purpose, so to speak? Um, Or was it something that maybe your parents instilled in you that where did that where did that kind of passion for caring for others come from? 
Yeah, I think some of it was cultural. I was very lucky. I had very strong, um, you know, spiritual foundation when I when I was, uh, uh, you know, when I was very young. Uh, but I think that, yeah, the, what I saw the, and I'm not proud of it because I was part of it. But the greed that I saw on Wall Street in the '80s uh, really took me to a place, you know, like I mentioned when I had the epiphany, that was a very dark place, and. And I had a, a, a bottom of sorts spiritually, you know, and I, I said, wow, this is just not for me. Something here in my soul is really restless. And and I was very blessed to be able to introduce to Gary and Social Venture Network and all of the social entrepreneurs who said, you know what, even though they were totally different from me. I mean, I came from a very conservative family. Um, and Jay, Gary used to joke and say I was the only suit at the food shows. Uh, so that's how I was back then, you know, and yeah. I saw these guys which were a bunch of hippies and I say these are a bunch of, you know, socialists who became capitalists, <laughs> but actually their values were identical to my values, you know, and that's what I really identified with it. Their values of having a holistic approach to business and life of having life balance in terms of what you're doing every day in your business and what you're doing every day in your personal life, that there was a harmony there that was very comforting and serene to me. And, and I felt whole in that. And, and so when I decided to make that leap into that category, it was really because of the place I'd been, which was so dark. Um, and I just, I, I knew there was a better way and there was something in my soul that said, you know, look at all these wonderful entrepreneurs that are doing so much good out there that there is a profit motive to being socially responsible. I'm very lucky, I was very blessed that the food industry is one of the few industries where you have a direct correlation between your brand value, your price on the shelf, your elasticity, your retrial, and the social good that you do. In other words, yeah. there's a direct way you can, we measured it with uh, going way back to the Cone Group reports that we participated back in where Cone Marketing had actually measured causality around brands and we were one of the leading brands in that study. And, and so I saw, I was lucky early on, I could see very clearly that if you had a brand that had very strong values you, you, and had a social component, you would get a very strong following among consumers. You would get strong brand affinity. And, you know, that's what we like to say at Zafar and Road, that we sell values for value. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Anand, that is just... That that really shows me even a little bit more about kind of who you are and just and, and what drives you. And it's just so clear that all the things that I've read about you and all the things that I've seen people say about you, just how how generous and, and thoughtful and hardworking you are. It's just it's so evident you. Very kind of you, in yeah. everything that you do. Um, I mean, you, you uh, you've even been able to I mean, you've met some of my kind of personal <laughs> heroes. Uh, I mean, the fact that you've met Eileen Fisher. I mean, she's just somebody who I just. Oh, my goodness. She's an amazing salt-of-the-earth person. I'll tell you, Eileen is just unbelievable. Yeah. She's she, really helped so many young, especially female entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, you know, she's really been amazing. Her, her, her whole team is amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, I mean, you, you had the opportunity to meet uh, President Barack Obama, which is just, uh, you know, oh, also I don't incredible. know how you found out about that, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, I do I do a little light internet stalking before you've done my your internet. intel, right. <laughs> I've done my intel. I've done my intel. So, yeah, I mean, it's just so clear, uh, you know, just the work that you're doing is is impacting the lives of so many people. And um, I'm just really uh, just uh, thank you for what you do, because it really does. It really does change lives in, in such in such an amazing way. So thank you. And thank you, Molly, for what you do, because you give a voice that's really needed. And I'm not just talking about myself, but a lot of the other interviews you've done. 
that's a really important voice and narrative to have out there, especially during this environment. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, All right. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, But before we go, um, I am going to just ask a couple fun get to know you questions. It's my listeners favorite part of the show uh, just to kind of, you know, get to know you a little bit more um, in a a lighthearted way. And uh, the first question I asked, I was going to ask if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what it would it be? And then I was like, wait, he owns a food company. So for somebody that maybe has not tried a Saffron Road product, um, if you had to eat the same, you can you can pick, you know, maybe one of one from each of your categories, the frozen, the snacks and the, the prepared. Uh, so what would you what would be like the thing if you had to eat it every single day for the rest of your life? What would you eat? Our chicken biryani is awesome you know so in the frozen so the chicken biryani for me is my favorite product on the frozen um and then in the snacks it's the sea salt chickpeas Mm. which are organic chickpeas and in the uh, shelf stable it's our chickpea masala which is a chickpea meal um uh, which is you know mostly in costco nowadays those would be my three products number one in each category all Absolutely. right i like it you you had no qualms you were like i know exactly what i'm talking so <laughs> right. i trust you i trust you and now i'm gonna now i'm hungry so i'm gonna have to go to sprouts after this it's right by my <laughs> office so right. i'm gonna need to get that um okay my second question is what is a dream that you have yet to achieve you've achieved a lot in your life what is a dream you've yet to achieve you know uh, that's a good question and i probably have a few that uh, that I have to contemplate over, uh, but I, I certainly think that you know I, I do think there's a lot of opportunity for folks, minorities and and, and women especially, and people of color uh, that are not getting a fair shake in this environment. And one of my dreams would be to create a socially responsible uh, company or foundation that helps it helps inspire a lot of those individuals. I've done a lot of that mentoring in my past, recently being an entrepreneur, especially. With Zafon Road, I don't really have the bandwidth or time to do it, but I would like to get involved sometime in the future of creating a foundation that really helps inspire minorities and, and people of color uh, to become successful entrepreneurs, because I think there's tremendous opportunity for them, yes. and I think they're being left behind. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more, and I think that's, uh, that is an incredible vision, and um, I have a feeling that uh, knowing who you are, I have a feeling that you're going to make it happen, so... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully with your blessing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, All right. My next question is, if you were a professional athlete, uh, think baseball player, and you are walking up to the plate, what is your walk-up song? You know that song that just like hypes you up? The whole whole stadium is hyped up right now. (laughs) Yeah. Rocking the Casbah by The Clash. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be in a rock band in college, so I, I love that song. Adnan, you were in a rock band in college? Yes. There's so much I, that I, I was don't. A drummer. <laughs> so. You're a drummer. Oh man, do you still play the drum sometimes? I wish I did. No, I gave it up many, <laughs> many years ago. But I should, I should probably go back into it. I'll probably drive my wife crazy with all the noise in the house. But... Uh, you should <laughs> totally do that. You should totally. I mean, I just like it. Like food CEO by day, backup by night. Yeah. Like, <laughs> drummer by night. That's amazing. Um, okay, and then my last question. This is the question I ask all my guests, and it is uh, Adnan. What does it mean to you? you to run a business with purpose? It it means that um, I'm blessed every day to come in and have the privilege uh, to be able to make a change, uh, both in in the uh, 
environment out there currently, as well as with our team, as well as to inspire our team to go out there and make a difference in the world and get inspired by them and by consumers. Um, what, one of the beautiful things I have is I often get to read the comments that come into us from passionate fans of ours, and sometimes they bring tears to my eyes. I mean, the, the, the way that a lot of consumers talk about Saffron Road and the way we've been able to change their life uh, for, the betterment, for their betterment is really inspiring for me. It, it's what keeps me going. That's incredible. I love that. And I bet that those kinds of comments and, and messages just further fuel uh, your your passion for what you do. So um, Adnan, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's truly an honor to sit and chat with you today. Same here. Thanks a lot, Molly. Wish you all the best. I told you this was a good episode. Oh, man, it was such a great conversation. I could have talked to him forever. So grateful to Adnan for coming on the show. Now, I would love to know something that you learned from this episode. So let me know on social media. You can tag me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And be sure to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, No Issue. Check out noissue.co for all your sustainable packaging products and use the coupon code PURPOSE15 for 15% off. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible people who are literally changing the world with what they do for a living. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for your support. It truly means the world to me. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast, basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button. And if you have a moment, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. This show is edited by my incredible husband and executive producer, John Stillman, with support from Kelly Dalton, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thanks so much for listening, and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.